0: Poet waffle. Just poet waffle. waffle. Poet waffle. Poet poet waffle. Poet waffle. it's poet waffle. We're just gonna poet waffle. Have a poet waffle. Oh hello there, welcome to Poet Waffle episode 18 with me, Daniel Cockkrall, where I invite a poet into my shed for an intimate chat. And during that chat, We explore the visceral space between fact and fiction, which I believe is more of a feeling where poets use their emotions to navigate the world and hopefully reveal certain truths that are neglected by those other fields. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome into the Waffle Shed, poet, poet in education, activist, producer, the list goes on, there's many other things that he does, but please welcome Matt Abbott. Hi mate, you're alright? Hello Matt. Uh, very good. Um just before we start, what I'm gonna say is uh, it's actually Poet Waffle's birthday. So it's been going a whole year. Uh, we've done 17 episodes in the first year, and so this is the start of the the new series, really. Um, and you're the first guest in its second year. And well, um, I'm honoured. Thanks. Happy it's, birthday. It's happy birthday, Poet Waffles. So blow the candles out and make a wish i suppose the thing i always ask the guests first off is what you know how did you get here why poetry how did you go on this journey because it's not really something that you probably be at school and say oh, i'm gonna my career advisor says oh matt you know why don't you be a poet that's a a good career choice
1: it it was it would have been highly unlikely if you'd have told me at the age of 15 or 16 that i'd be a poet i would have laughed in your face but i was always obsessed with lyrics absolutely obsessed with the lyrics in songs even when i was like 9 or 10 i would get the album booklet out and read and i I wouldn't be interested if i didn't connect with the lyrics and then i got into rap and stuff like that um and at the age of 17 18 when i was at sixth form indie music exploded everywhere and a lot of it was in yorkshire so like arctic monkeys whatever and all my mates were in bands, and I really wanted to be a part of it. And I'd always fantasised about being a frontman, um, but I couldn't sing or play guitar. Yeah. And then, much as this will provoke a lot of eye rolls, I discovered Dr. John Cooper Clark. And at the time, I thought he was a bee's knees. And then, uh, I don't know if you've heard of a band called Reverend and the Makers. They had a song called Heavyweight Champion of the World. He used to do a lot of poems in between his songs. Right. And so I saw that and thought... I might be able to do that. Yeah. Not in a cocky way, but like you don't need an instrument or months of lessons or whatever. You, yeah. you just need to be a. So I had a go and I was fairly good at it. So I, at first it was a novelty thing. Yeah. People around Wakefield knew me as poem guy yeah. so I'd get up at all the musical nights yeah. doing poems. And then a producer approached me on MySpace and said, do you want to put your poetry to music? And it was a daft little side project for both of us. Within nine months we signed to Universal and I was like, okay, I'm probably going to keep this up. And then when the music inevitably went... Uh, downwards in 2013, <laughs> I just went back to writing poetry because I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think mean, because it makes you feel a al- lot, you know, that, that aliveness that you probably felt on stage or felt that you wanted to be part of something, what you suddenly realise is just writing the lyrics makes you feel just as alive. Yeah. And you don't need the other stuff around it. That other stuff comes with when you're doing it. if you Oh, I need to read this out somewhere. Yeah. But, what I always find is that the thing that connects me to the world is just that initial bit of writing yeah. and
1: um, that's exciting enough in itself to, to keep you going really if you're not at your absolute happiest in that moment then there's not really any point doing it like yeah, you say yeah, there's, yeah. there's stuff on stage much as it was the initial attraction to a attention seeking teenager the stuff on stage is, the, is a bonus it's the nice stuff if you can get it it's great Yeah. but there's no point chasing that if you're not enjoying the writing is there really Yeah. Yeah. there's no point
0: yeah, and I wonder if people do chase that. I chase the. Uh, I'd say so. The, the, the they probably get such a thrill on stage, and they want they get that hit. They get they want to keep getting that hit, so that maybe that keeps them going to keep going back for it. But it's probably a destructive uh, way of going about stuff. Whereas writing just the the words and having no outlet and you the, the buzz you get from it that first buzz is you don't need anything else maybe or...
1: Well, I mean, I definitely love getting the buzz on stage, but I think mm-hmm. if you've worked really hard and you've really loved writing it and it's something you're really proud of, that's, for me, that's like a protection so that when you yeah. go on stage and it doesn't go too okay. well for whatever reason, you know, it doesn't destroy you. I think if all of your hopes are placed on your reaction on stage, it's going to destroy you. Yeah, yeah. Because there's going to be one night where people just don't get it or you think they're not getting it even though they are and, or no one turns up or whatever. And if that's where your happiness is invested, then I think it's very toxic, very dangerous. But that's just from my perspective. Some yeah, people yeah. might be different, you no, know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think
0: the the work ethic thing is. I I think if you can do the work, and and understand why you think it's good in your from your own perspective. Yeah. Actually, anything from outside it doesn't really matter what what is said because you're like, well, I understand what I'm doing here. Yeah. Um. If it doesn't fit, it, it's much better if it fits in with the world. Then it, it's kind of an easier ride. If it doesn't, then you just have to carve it out yourself. Yeah. Uh, and do it. So, did you think it was going to end up, you know, because you're doing well now? You've had a a, a good couple of years of um, being able to make a living from it. I don't know how far in you're in, but you know, does
1: does it feel like it's getting easier, harder? Is it always a constant nagging? Or I feel like it's got a lot harder this year for some reason. Yeah. But I think I'm in that weird limbo um, to coin an industry term, post-emerging, where like I feel like I'm having to work a lot hard. Like in the first couple of years of me going freelance, it felt like the work sort of fell into my lap a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Obviously, I did a nationwide advert, which changed things dramatically and created a lot of work and also give me financial freedom to do more ambitious projects. This year, I don't know why, this year it feels a little bit more difficult, but I'm doing loads of stuff in schools and I've got... I feel like now um, my projects are a lot... So, like, for example, if I want to do another book... It probably won't be published until late twenty twenty one, if not twenty twenty two, which is mad. Yeah. Um. So I just feel like I'm in a bit of a weird post-emerging phase, but I'm not complaining. Like I still love it. I'm not struggling. How, how do you cope with that with the book thing? You know, I'm
0: I'm really into. I didn't discover books till you know I didn't read a book probably till I was seventeen. So I discovered books really late, and when I did discover them, they became really precious to me. So I never even knew I could have a book out. Yeah. No, and now same. that I've uh, had books out and once I discovered okay when you're gonna if you're gonna put a barcode on it and go through this system it's as you say it's a year and a half project probably two years project and so when it comes out the other end I'm always a bit a bit frustrated because I'm like well I've got all this other stuff that yeah. I've been writing a- and hence I've been making these little uh, low fi poetry books that I can just knock out that they how do you cope with the fact that oh that project of that book is going to
1: be two years down the line, and I, I'm going to have to do that work. Well, I'm just adjusting to it now, because the thing is, the as I said at the start, the thing that first attracted me to poetry was the uh, the instant access, yeah. the instant hit. Yeah. I could feasibly write a poem in the afternoon and perform it that night. I'm not saying you should do that, yeah. but technically I could, right? Yeah. And so... Uh, I'd been performing poetry for twelve years before I had a book published. Yeah. But I'd I'd put stuff on YouTube. I'd put stuff on SoundCloud on MySpace back in the day. I even like when I set up Nims and Fugs. I released an album of my work to take to Edinburgh when I did yeah. a week at Edinburgh in twenty fifteen. Just because I couldn't. There's no way I could have produced a book in that time frame. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I, you know, so like for me, what I've always loved about poetry has been that immediate output and obviously with a book it's like the total opposite but i never saw myself as an author i never yeah, saw myself yeah. as a published poet that's never what i thought i've I'd never be. got over that instant hit
0: it's, it's and it's know, probably yeah. the thing that holds back my career in in terms of being successful in in yeah. um on the main stage is because i need the instant hit i want to just read the thing I've just written. Yeah. And I don't want to read the thing out of my new book that's just come out. And I'd be like, oh, that's two years old now. Oh, and, no. I, and I suppose the people who are successful, you know, if you look at the, if you look at John Cooper Clark, for example, could you mention him? He's it, probably, that how I'm not sure how you can keep doing the same stuff and be excited by it. But he does a good enough job to get it. Acc- if you've never seen him before, let's say, yeah. and you've come to him late and you're a teenager, you come and you see him for the first time, He's going to be able to deliver that stuff good enough that you think, "Wow, that's amazing." I think sometimes he forgets about it. <laughs> Is that the key?
1: Yeah, I think sometimes he reads Beazley Street on stage. That's actually quite a good poem, man. Yeah, no, I saw uh, I saw
0: Ivor Cutler do that. With he was re, he was very fraul at the time with one of his last gigs, and he was reading his work, and everyone was laughing because it was hilarious. And he said. Oh, it's quite good, isn't it? As if he would forgotten. yeah. yeah <laughs> he'd actually, yeah. uh, uh, he's actually written it. So, um, what else? What else have you been doing? You love it. You're a football. You know, me and you
1: are big football fans. Yeah, it's rare that isn't it in, in the poetry world. I uh, rather foolishly at the start of the season, I tried writing a football poem every week. I've seen that. Um, I've seen you it, it fell. It fell. <laughs> oh, you've given it up? I didn't manage to keep it up. It just right. became too... Because it's one thing to write a good enough poem and then to film it and then to have the subtitles and then to upload it. It doesn't sound like a big job, but yeah. when my work started piling up, yeah. I was... You know, like being a freelancer, you sort of treading water. Yeah. And towards Christmas, the water was bobbing over my nose. Yeah. And so I just had to stop doing it. But the thing is, no one who likes football... Really likes poetry, and nobody who likes poetry really likes football in general. So, to yeah. write football poem every was a bit silly, but I really enjoyed but it. I think there's a
0: good, I think there's a good, there, you know, in late an who I, I am a late Orient fan, you know, Tim Wells is a late Orient fan, yeah, yeah. And, and Paul McGann from the Poetry Society, he's he's a late Orient fan. Is he? So, there's a there is a there, there are a few bobbing around, you know, I know, um. Uh, Chris Foster who's not really a poet he's a singer songwriter but he's a massive Morecambe fan yeah yeah and yeah. it's sort of the low um, it's probably you, you're hard to find your your Manion that's not true either actually Mike Gary's a Manion Gary, fan isn't he Tony Walsh Tony Walsh so course, there are yeah, some obviously
1: yeah. okay I mean, I'm talking yeah. rubbish but in, in general it's it, on the Venn diagram of interest yeah, it's a true. very a little acorn true yeah but, uh, and I <laughs> just I was just I just wanted to write poetry for myself yeah. I know that sounds ridiculous but uh, I'd spent so many years when I felt like I was always writing commissions. Or I'd basically, yeah. I'd written Two Little Ducks, which is my debut collection. But first and foremost, that was a show. That was like an hour-long show, which I'd spent 18 months to two years writing. And then straight after that, I was extremely fortunate in that I was commissioned to write a kids' poetry collection. But that was like 70 poems that I had to write in like six weeks. Yeah, yeah. And then straight after that, my band happened to get back together and we wrote an album. Yeah. So I'd just gone from project to project to project. And I just thought... I just want to write for myself for yeah. a bit and I love yeah, yeah. football and I've never really written poetry about football I just want to try it and I did really enjoy it to be fair it's a shame yeah. I didn't keep it up but yeah. I ju- I just that process of just reminding yourself why you're writing and what you're writing for yeah. like we were saying earlier you know those po- football poems were never going to be published but I love the fact that they went online every week and yeah. I got different responses and so you it's just get, was you,
0: know, you, are you. it wasn't an
1: official um, poet laureate of Leeds or anything, or was you? Uh Well, I was are commissioned you? to write a poem for their official kit launch. Yeah. Um, and I tried convincing him to let me write a poem for for their actual centenary day. In the end, I didn't get it through the line, but I just put it online, and the club retweeted it, and the chairman retweeted it. So yeah, yeah, in yeah. effect, sort of, yeah. But um,
0: I I wonder because I mad. I have thought
1: about you know,
0: there's two things I chance, how chance gets started oh, it and me. Is, is amazing. It's just like how does that my mate, you know, so we got a new goalkeeper and my mate made up a chant and we were like, oh, how do you get that going? And we you know, we probably we probably could get it going. But I was thinking, you know, if you were gonna be the uh the the laureate of the club, you know, what would how would that how would that be? Would you would I feel comfortable in doing that? And no Would you be completely shot down by the the um the supporters going this stuff is absolute
1: trash. I think that I think the problem is I need to be careful what I say here but the problem is if you write in for the club yeah. there's so many you have to play it safe to some extent yeah. obviously politically <laughs> there's so many hoops you have to jump through and oh, yeah, it's sort yeah. of like when you you know it goes through marketing and a committee you can't you're never going to write something that's going to connect that well with the fans because Because you can't Slag like off the board or something. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, like just the, the tone of it and the certain things you say and the certain ways you phrase it. You just wouldn't. I mean, the, the poem that I wrote for the kit launch, I am very, very happy with, but it would have been difficult to consistently be so. No, I, I think an unofficial is fine. It's always got to be positive, isn't it? A positive yeah. look on, on what's happening yeah, and just on the bit, certain and slang and words or whatever. I don't, I yeah. don't know, but. I don't mean swearing, but anyways, like I'd I'd never want to be the official poet laureate, but the fact that I wrote the poem mm-hmm. for the centenary kit launch, and if anyone says Leeds United and poet in the same sentence, then they probably think of me. So that'll do. That That's sounds really big. arrogant, but it's, nice. it's, it's 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 there's not big man, man, club yeah. as well though, isn't it? Leighton's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah.
0: It's my first love. Big club. Yeah. Whereas I think Leighton and Orient are probably at best a Division One team. I think if we get in, ever get in the Championship, we'll definitely be. <laughs> Um, Yeah. uh, Over, you know, punching above our weight. It'd be good to see. Now we're we're almost halfway through, and I'm gonna cut to yeah the big question. And the reason I've cut to the big question now is because I think it's a it's a really interesting question. And the question that you've gone for is, is ambition a destructive
1: force? Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Um, Um. You know. I will always be ambition, uh, sorry, ambitious In to like it's part of my nature and I think my ambition has led to my happiest moments and my finest achievements but it's also led to my darkest moments and some of my worst deeds probably it is very destructive and the problem is with ambition, it, you can't satisfy it, it's yeah. an itch that you can never scratch and yeah. it only feeds itself and I don't think it's as destructive in my life now as it has been but even when it comes to like beating yourself up about not working hard enough or yeah. not taking up an opportunity or whatever, that ambition, it eats away at you. And like I say, I, I, I love it. I, like most things, I love it and hate it in equal measures. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, it, it was destructive because I think I... Over- I Everything in poetry that I did, I, I went as far as... You know, I, I dug myself into the ground. I, you know, I completely yeah. burnt myself out. So even just in education... There's some people like Jacob, Sam LaRose, who are probably the best at it, who were very steady. You know, they were like, they they wasn't coming out of the, you know, the first, second, third gear. Whereas I was always at the top gear. Yeah. And after every yeah. session I'd come, i go, I've got, I've got to better that, I've got to better that. Yeah. And then you get to a point where you're just exhausted. Yeah. And I was doing it, you know, three or four times a week, over and over, earning really good money not really writing my own stuff but just concentrating on the workshops. Yeah. And I was completely burnt out. I would you know, I couldn't sleep, you know, because I was just frantically going over my head what the, the next session was gonna be like. Yeah. And I've probably done that in in lots of things that I've did, you know, take you know, not switching off, going to it the extremes rather than balance. So everything I do now I try to do in balance. Even though I, I have ambition, the ambition is balanced with looking after myself and the things that I need to do.
1: Yeah. But you had to burn out to be a, get to that point. I definitely had to thing. burn out. Yeah. You know,
0: I had to be in a really dark place to be able to go, okay, now I'm swimming three times a week. Yeah. Now I'm eating healthily. Yeah. Whereas before I drink heavily, you know, if, if so the, the exercise thing as well, if I, if, if I took my old self and I was like, oh, I'm going to get fit, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to exercise every single day to, and it. Yeah. so I, I have to, you know, try and be measured about the world and go okay you know even writing poetry don't just you know don't write so that you can't you know you're going to make yourself sick until your hands mm. bleed and i probably have that in me you know if i've got a bar of chocolate on the table i have to go right i'm not going to just <laughs> destroy that bar of chocolate i've got no i've got no willpower or cut off point bottle of wine if it's opened i will i have to t- tell myself no just just have the one glass put it back in the fridge whereas if, it's, if the sweets are in the house, we don't get sweets in the house because the kids yeah. don't eat them, I eat them. I know.
1: Po- you know. Poets are very consumptive people. <laughs> uh, what Poets are solitary distanced, solitary distanced, consumptive and sexually ambivalent. <laughs> that was Michael Horowitz, I think. Oh, right, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I know what you mean, but the thing is, right, you say if you spend three hours a week swimming, me, two years ago, I'd be like, that's three hours a week I could spend yeah. applying for jobs, writing, yeah, yeah. doing my website, whatever, and allowing yourself that time to just stop and go for a swim because I, I train swim twice a week now and I never would have thought I'd do that but it's just as much for your head as anything else for your head that's
0: what I don't do it for I do it for to it's the only time I, I actually breathe regularly yeah so because you you know you're swimming you have to like go on and breathe breathe if I don't do that I'm actually running and you know breathing fast and I I forget how to breathe as a human being it's and it's one of the most basic things in, and I suppose it's like when people meditate they're actually bringing yeah. their breathing into control and I suppose that's why I was always out of control because yeah. I wasn't you know and breathing for a poet probably is very, important, very important because yeah, of totally. the breath and the rhythm and you know if you haven't got that in control, you're probably not gonna be writing that well anyway.
1: That's and why my gym membership goes on my tax return. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So in terms of the destruct it destructive force, what um what happened that you that you Feel, um, and where, you, where did you go that was dark and where, or where did you go that was really um, light and exciting that you thought well, I've got
1: here because of being ambitious and, uh, and doing lots of things um, when so when uh, and I'm, I'm not talking about this to brag it because it all went to, to pop. but when I was young and we signed to Universal we had a band of musicians in place that were we were never a band it's me and a songwriter but we had musicians that played live with us and yeah. the label said yeah, we've got, you've got to sack them. And without thinking about it, I sacked them. Yeah, and, yeah. like, stopped seeing other people, like, dropped people or, like, did things that were quite self... But purely out of ambition. I was yeah, so yeah. ambitious at this point. I turned to Universal. They were like, we're going to make you as big as you too. I didn't really care about anything other than making that happen. Yeah, And so yeah. I did... I'm not a naturally selfish person, but I was 19. Yeah. And with that opportunity... In that
0: space I, and people telling you that. Yeah. You, yeah, yeah. But
1: also... Um, so, like things were going fairly well, like we were being played a lot on Radio One. All of the broadsheets were saying next big thing, Q Magazine, whatever. Um, and basically, I moved down to London on my own at 20 and I was absolutely petrified. Yeah. The ambition. And so, basically, I was <laughs> drinking really heavily. Yeah. I, I was, I'd nearly got to the point of no return. I ended up taking myself to therapy. Uh to work on cognitive behavior to work on the booze but the ambition just absolutely crushed me, yeah. I felt the weight of it so much. Yeah. it was no one really putting that much pressure on me it was just on myself but like in my poetry career I, because because of i know it sounds ridiculous because it didn't work out that well, but like because of what I achieved with the band, I've never really Felt any shame at going for big stuff with a poetry career, so it might look arrogant, but like when I did the nationwide advert, the first thing I thought was right. I'm going to do full Edinburgh fringe run, and I did a full run at Underbelly Cowgate, yeah. and like not. The working class inferior, inferiority complex imposter syndrome, to some extent, would never allow you to do that. But I was like, no, I'm going to do that because that's yeah. that's the best thing I could do right now. And so I think the ambition's good. But then again, like when I finished that, I tried doing a 22-day theatre tour in six weeks, which was stupid. Yeah, yeah. And so I always push myself a bit too far. But now that I'm a little bit older, uh, I'm, I'm probably the same as you in that my ambition is more balanced and I don't feel like ambition is as destructive... For me anymore, because I've sort of you have to remind yourself why you're doing what you do.
0: I think that's it. All the bad decisions I've made, debt due to ambition. I sort of put in context of like what would what, what if I go back to that young person and try and discover him and what it was I really wanted to do. It wasn't any of these other things that were being thrown into the pit. Yeah. that when it was offered to you, like, oh my god, yeah, I never even thought of that. But actually, now you've offered it to me, I want it. Yeah. And probably that is the wrong you know the wrong thing to do i so i've tried to go back to what was it i was doing when i was 16 and i didn't and i was completely naive and didn't know anything what was i doing what was making me feel sort of at one with with myself and what i'm and i've tried to go back to that and yeah the problem with that outside influence is you know the society expects you to behave a certain way yeah i have a family i have to you know I've got some responsibility, but it's trying. To, you know now my he's trying to balance that.
1: Yeah. With
0: trying to write how I want to write it without nobody telling me oh you can't do it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that's what it is. I'm now on that. Uh, the way I look at the world is I don't like people telling me I can't do <laughs> that. So that's probably where my stubbornness comes yeah, from. Okay, so it's like, yeah. Well, I'm gonna do it that way. Uh, and that's probably what I need to work at to say, oh, if that is a bad decision, then just because someone said you can't do that doesn't mean I should go ahead and... Yeah, absolutely. I know, you've <laughs> and got to go have, do it, you have a word
1: with your son. I think that uh, I think it's having quite a bad impact on the poetry and spoken word scene in terms of people who are just starting out. I think social media, um, somebody... And I'd say this from a concern point of view, not a scornful one. It's like people will write poetry, do open mics for, say, like six months... Get some really good responses. Get one feature slot, yeah. and then two weeks later, they are talking about doing a show, or yeah. doing a tour, or doing Edinburgh, or being published. Yeah. Within six or nine months of even doing the first gig, and I think, I think because of social media, it's like, well, what can I do next? What can I do? They, they can't. Like people are so impatient, and ambition takes over far too soon. And I, I would have been guilty of that myself. I'm not saying all oh, these stupid people. I just think it's sad because people aren't allowing themselves to develop naturally. And if after six or nine months you're talking about doing you know, winning the outspoken prize or, or whatever. Where, where do you think
0: that narrowness of... Because, yes, it is related to ambition, but because there's the one-person show or there's the book or there's a, a tour... Yeah. Um, where does that narrowness come from? Is it, is it really down to financial thing of, like, oh, to to be successful, I need to make money? Because why, why don't people open it up and say, well, actually... I could present my work this way and it would be so much better for me because a one-person show actually for a lot of the time isn't the perfect way for most people to present their work. But because it's a thing and they can apply for Arts Council grant funding and they can take it to Edinburgh, suddenly it becomes a a thing and it might not be the best way to do it. It's almost like do people narrow themselves down and, and aren't imaginative enough to open it up and say what am I because they won't have the audience. People won't know what it is if it's not set in a theater yeah. or in a book.
1: To some extent, I think it is just because it's a thing. It's like it's the next step if you've been doing poetry for a while and you feel like you're ready to take it to the next step. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's very difficult to be published whereas writing a show, that's something you have control of, which is I would say the reason I did it as well to be fair. Um but I don't think it's a money thing. I think Myself included, the thing that people are most excited about is announcing something on yeah. social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it sounds ridiculous. Yeah. But if if you manage to book a tour, or if you win an award, or if you get a commission, the thing that people treasure over anything else is going delighted to announce that. Yeah. That's in fact that, that's and then it.
0: When they're actually doing it, is it?
1: They might they, lose money, it might yeah. be terrible, It might no one might turn up, they might have a nervous breakdown, but that's not online, is but it? But the thing that
0: on their CV says, I did this, yeah. you know, yeah. The, to the tour flyer, yeah. that,
1: or whatever. And I, look, I admit, honestly, I'm guilty of that myself, and I just think that because of that, people feel like, unless they've got something to announce, or they've got a project where people can go, ooh, then they're failing as a poet, and they're not. You know, it's that, poetry now, spoken word now is seen as this, like, fame slash career trajectory where everyone yeah, yeah. wants to be Holly McNish or everyone wants to be Kate Tempest and I think it's great because obviously it's good to be ambitious but I do think people are losing sight and mate, as I say I, I've been guilty of it myself but I think that's where ambition is a destructive force because people are more concerned with the announcement than they are with just natural poetic or artistic development
0: Who's to blame for that? There? You know, Are the the courses that are set up for young people? Are they a lot to blame to say? Look, here's the thing, and this is your this is how you progress. I don't know those development. I hear I hear the word development batted around a lot, and I've had you know poets say to me, "Oh, you would have you would have done so much better if you'd had this development." And I'm a bit like, "Oh, you know what? I wouldn't. I wouldn't have because it it suddenly it becomes exclusive of how you're going to. You know, do you want to be on this publisher's? And if you want to be on this publishers, this is how you have to develop your work to be there. And for me, that would be the worst thing because I'm not, I don't want it. You no. know, I want it to be, I like, as I said at the beginning, I like this, the initial idea, the spark. Yeah. The thing that makes you feel alive. It's almost like as soon as you light that fire and set it and you're around, you go, look, we've lit the fire. That's my, where I'm get all my energy from as soon as it goes down the line and it's the actual thing I'm I'm less interested and especially as I get older because it just gets harder to to carry on things yeah and you know do those sort of things
1: I think the danger, like you say there, the danger is if the outcome comes first, if you say, right, I want to be on this publisher or I want to get this grant or whatever, what can I do to get there? I think that's really dangerous. I think if you progress naturally and you develop naturally and then think, oh, maybe I'd be a good fit for that publisher, actually. Maybe this might work as a show, actually. That's how you should do it. Yeah. But the problem is a lot of people are trying to be square pegs in round holes in order to achieve a certain goal. Yeah, it's a shame. I wonder
0: how we stop all that as well. I wonder how we say to people, you know, it. Because I'd like to see people in their true self. When oh. when you see someone on stage or in a book or whatever they're doing, and they're very they're themselves on stage or natural, or they've got this thing that they're doing, so it's really enriching. You think, yeah. oh, that's amazing, and you want to see that with everyone. You want everyone to find their niche, but then it does mean audiences having to move with what the world that they the yeah, person is yeah. creating on stage. And I don't know how you know how you do that if the if if theatres are only putting on one type of show, you know your one person show. If it you know the, the stand up comedy is a is a prime example of that, isn't it? That if you're a stand up comedian, people know what it is. Suddenly, anyone can go to it because they know what to expect. Yeah. Well, Whereas if you're doing something that's slightly avant garde, they're like, "What is this?" You know.
1: If I'm being honest, I don't think there's any potential for spoken word poetry shows to be a thing. It sort of is a thing now but i don't think it's got legs i think it's either a theatre show yeah or you do a poetry gig doing a poetry show it's like as somebody who's tried it and toured it and done it whatever it's just it's very difficult because like you say people don't really know what they're going to see yeah is it is in a theatre but it's not theatre i and mean it,
0: rob my mate rob alton he he's managed to carve out a world where it's it could be seen as comedy, yeah. it could be seen as spoken word, it could be seen as one-person theatre, and, and because he can't pin it down to what it Rob's is.
1: Rob's incredible, to be fair. Rob's probably the main exception to the rule, but if you look at like Luke Wright, for example, yeah. his their theatre shows. Yeah, yeah,
0: no, exactly, yeah. I think they are. I, I would agree shows. that most
1: of them are theatre shows yeah
0: it's acting involved yeah in, in a way of, of
1: people sometimes presume that maria ferguson shows are spoken word shows but they're not the plays like the theatre yeah, plays yeah they, they are really the are like cause just because she's undi- a poet directed, yeah, yeah 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 so like I, I, I think i think it's a dangerous it's, it's difficult uh if you're listening kids don't try it yeah don't uh, it's very <laughs> don't difficult <laughs> stay away from poetry <laughs> yeah, it's a dangerous no, poetry's track. great just don't yeah. try and do an hour-long poetry show because it's Audiences don't know what it is. Venues don't want to know what it is. Reviewers won't come and review it. It's very difficult. Unless it's a play and theatre that yeah, uses yeah, poetry, yeah. isn't yeah, it? Yeah, That's yeah. what we're trying to say.
0: Um, there's a bit of uh, wisdom there and then. Is there anything else you want to say? We've done our we've done our bit, Matt. So is there anything else you want to say that you're doing? Because um, you're doing a load of stuff, um, um,
1: or do you want to send them to your website or? If you well, my, if you just Google Matt Abbott poet, my website should come up, but. Uh, um, buy Maria's new collection Alright Girl it's out today on Burning Eye Books Maria, Maria, Maria Ferguson Maria yeah. Ferguson's yeah. new collection Alright Girl um, that's that's all I want to say just, I mean, I've heard brilliant stuff about that it's, gonna it's be phenomenal exciting. it is yeah. absolutely phenomenal I know I'm biased but it is phenomenal but um, if, if I've said anything that makes me sound like I'm sneering at young poets trying to be ambitious I genuinely don't mean it I just, I just worry that sometimes people lose sight of why they're doing what they do and I've made that mistake myself so I'm not being all judgmental and that's it we're not and we're not worried about young poets we're
0: like go and make the mistake go and have a really yeah, good time live it just live it live out the you know it's good to go to those dark places and come out of them a, yeah. a better person as well yeah you know, so. just
1: try not to let the ambitious element of it stop you enjoying it yeah just enjoy it <laughs>
0: brilliant nice words to finish on thank you very cool. much Matt thank you and uh, we'll see you again next time Pirate Waffle was written and presented by Daniel Cockrell, original concept by Jack White, music and audio production by Julian Ward, artwork by Damien Wayhill, and technical support from Laurie Eaves.